I had hoped when I became president, I would not have to do this again. A grim president on another mass shooting. The victims this time, elementary school children and teachers in Texas. All Texans are grieving with the people of Uvalde. And people are rightfully angry. But what, if anything, will change? I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to West Wing Reports from Washington. It's Friday, May 27th. More than a quarter century ago, 1996 to be exact, a gunman entered a school in Scotland, Dunblane Primary School it was called, and murdered 16 kids and one teacher. The British government responded by enacting tight gun control legislation. In the 26 years, 9,500 days since, there have been a total of zero school shootings in Great Britain, zero. It's worth telling this story because, once again, we Americans have heard again the question, what can we do? What can we do after yet another senseless massacre, another mass murder involving guns? It could have been anywhere, your town, mine perhaps, but this time it was an elementary school in the small town of Uvalde, Texas. 19 boys and girls and two teachers. President Biden, who visited the site of a grocery store massacre in Buffalo, New York, just days ago, spoke in hushed, grim tones of this latest outrage. Beautiful, innocent, second, third, fourth graders. And how many scores of little children who witnessed what happened see their friends die as if they're on a battlefield, for God's sake. <clears throat> They'll live with it the rest of their lives. What more can possibly be said? The president added this. The parents who will never see their child again, never have them jump in bed and cuddle with them. <clears throat> parents who will never be the same. To lose a child is like having a piece of your soul ripped away. There's a hollowness in your chest. You feel like you're being sucked into it and never going to be able to get out. Suffocating. And it's never quite the same. <clears throat> it's a feeling shared by the siblings and the grandparents and the family members and the community that's left behind. This much everyone can agree on. These shootings are horrible, devastating, and sadly, as American is apple pie. But here's where people disagree. It's in the form of a question from the president. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? Not everyone agrees with that. Texas Senator Ted Cruz, a Republican, had this exchange with a British reporter. Is this the moment to reform gun laws? You know, it's, it's easy to go to politics. But it's important. It's at the heart of the issue. I, I get that that's where the media likes to go. No, it's not. It's where many of the people we've talked to here like to go. The proposals from Democrats and the media, inevitably, when some violent 
psychopath murders people. A violent psychopath who's able to get a weapon so easily. 18-year-old with two AR-15s. If you want to stop violent crime, the proposals the Democrats have, none of them would have stopped this. But why does this only happen in your country? I really think that's what many people around the world just... They cannot fathom. Why only in America? Why is this American exceptionalism so awful? You know, I'm sorry you think American exceptionalism is awful. I think this aspect, I think this aspect of it. You got your political agenda. No, it's God, honestly, God love you. Senator, it's no, not. I just I want to understand you. why you do not think that guns are the problem. Why is this just an American problem? Well, it is just an American problem, sir. Mr. Cruz, why is America the only country that faces this kind of you know what? mass shooting? But you can't answer that. Can, you can't answer that, can you say? You can't answer that. Why you know, is this country? Why is it that people come from all over the world to America? Because it's the freest, most prosperous, safest the country on maybe earth. The, and it may be the freest, it may be the most Why are our kids dying in After blaming the reporter, Cruz wound up leaving the room, but not before claiming that America is the safest country in the world. Did you hear that? In Texas, at the site of another mass murder, he called America the safest country in the world. Here it is again. Why you do not think that guns are the problem? Why is this just an American problem? It is just an American problem, sir. Mr. Cruz, why is America the only country that faces this kind of you know what? mass shooting? But you can't answer that. Can, you can't answer that, can you say? You can't answer that. Why you know, is this Why country? is it that people come from all over the world to America? Because it's the freest, most prosperous, safest country on Maybe. earth. In the wake of the murder of those 19 school children and two teachers, Cruz had to lower his voice when he made that claim before running away from the reporter. And yet there is common ground in some places. Data from the Pew Research Center, for example, says that huge majorities, 85% of Republicans and 90% of Democrats, for example, favor preventing those with mental illnesses from purchasing guns. That's a no-brainer. There's also huge support, 70% of Republicans and 82% of Democrats who want background checks or tougher background checks for gun show sales and private gun sales. And there's more. Majorities in both parties oppose allowing people to carry concealed firearms without a permit. The seemingly default position of Second Amendment proponents, however, is that the government is coming for our guns. But tougher background checks and insisting on permits for concealed carry, that's not taking guns away from anyone. Again, these are things that majorities of both Republicans and Democrats agree on. Even so, nothing happens. The gun lobby, and this is their right, they donate millions of dollars to Republican lawmakers to ensure that none of this happens. Their general view is that anything that's passed is a proverbial crack in the dam, and that must be prevented. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. 
From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Earlier on my Twitter account, I noted that Cruz had been quick to issue one of those thoughts and prayers tweets that he always issues after one of these horrible events. A follower asked me, well, what do you want him to do? The follower then referred to the recent massacre at a Buffalo grocery store and said, besides, Texas is much safer than New York anyway. This brings me to something I've learned after 13 years on Twitter, and it is this. Data and facts are never enough to overcome hardcore ignorance and a stubborn refusal to seek new knowledge. The fact is, New York is far safer than Texas. In per capita terms, you are 2.7 more times likely to be gunned down in Texas than in New York. That is what the data shows. But don't take my word for it. Go to Giffords.org and see for yourself. Other developments from this tragic story, the husband of one of the two teachers killed had a fatal heart attack Thursday. Four of their children are now orphaned. Cops cannot seem to explain how the killer was apparently able to remain in the school for an hour before being killed. Frantic parents outside were handcuffed and tased by cops. This was all so bad that even Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, whose nation has been battered by Russian atrocities and war crimes for months now, took the time to express his shock and condolences. That's how bad it was. Let's take a quick look at a few other things in the news this week. Biden made his first trip to Asia as president. He went to South Korea and Japan, and he said something about China that qualifies as big news. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's the commitment we made. That's a commitment we made. We are not, look, here's the situation. We agree with a one China policy. We signed on to it and all the attendant agreements made from there. But the idea that that it can be taken by force, just taken by force, is just not is just not appropriate. It'll dislocate the entire region and be another action similar to what happened in in uh, in Ukraine. And so it's a, it's a burden that is even stronger. This qualifies as a wow in my book, the president saying that America would intervene militarily if China attacked Taiwan. Taiwan is a democratic, prosperous, high-tech country 
just 100 miles from China, but China says it's Chinese territory, and the U.S. has feared for decades that Beijing might try and take it over. But a direct conflict between the U.S. and China, that's something, and White House aides quickly softened the president's remarks. A veteran Russian diplomat has resigned over Russia's war in Ukraine, saying he has, quote, never been so ashamed of my country, unquote. The diplomat, Boris Bondarev, says he would have quit earlier but was afraid. It's a rare public expression of dissent by a Russian official of the war, which is now in its fourth month. Here at home, the U.S. economy decreased at an annual 1.5% rate in the first quarter of the year. The Commerce Department says it cites a resurgence of COVID-19 cases and a decline in government pandemic assistance. 210,000 Americans filed for first-time unemployment benefits last week. Economists say that low figure indicates that the job market remains robust. And a pain in the gas, AAA says the average cost of a gallon of regular is now four sixty. A year ago, three bucks. Now let's hear about another evergreen podcast, one that I know you'll enjoy. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On conflicted. We dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Time now to open up the West Wing Report's archives and see what made history this week in the past. Road to the Civil War, Franklin Pierce signed the Kansas-Nebraska Act in 1854. It allowed people in the new territories of Kansas and Nebraska to decide for themselves whether or not to allow slavery. President Pierce disliked the idea. He feared it would make tensions over slavery worse, but he signed it anyway after senators threatened to block his appointments. 1886, Grover Cleveland became the first president to marry in the White House. The 49-year-old president tied the knot with Frances Folsom. She was just 21, the youngest first lady in U.S. history. And 1922, the Lincoln Memorial was dedicated here in Washington. It seems ironic, though, that at an event honoring Abraham Lincoln, seating for blacks and whites was segregated. 
One more history. Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. Speaking of books, by the way, I'll send you one if you download my new app. It's called West Wing Reports, available in the Apple and Android stores. Just download it on your phone or tablet. There's a button called What's on Your Mind. All you do is push, talk, and send. That's it. Leave a comment, and your name goes into a drawing for any of my books, your choice. I like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful. This week, it's from Liz Cheney, the congresswoman from Wyoming. She was the recipient of a Profiles and Courage Award from the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library. Cheney has been one of a small number of Republicans to stand up to Donald Trump and resist his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. She recalled wandering through the sacred space of the Capitol on the night of January 6th, 2021, and finding herself in the rotunda. The earliest scenes of our republic. These include four by George Trumbull, scenes from the American Revolution. One of these was painted in 1824, and it depicts George Washington resigning his commission. At this moment in 1783, depicted in the painting, Washington voluntarily relinquished power. He handed control of the Continental Army back to Congress. George Trumbull, the painter, called this one of the highest moral lessons ever given to the world. With this noble act, George Washington set the indispensable example of the peaceful transfer of power in our country. This is what President Reagan called, quote, nothing short of a miracle. This is what President Kennedy in his inaugural address called a celebration of freedom. And this sacred obligation to defend the peaceful transfer of power has been honored by every American president except one. Standing on the east front of the United States Capitol on a snowy morning in 1961, President Kennedy said, in the long history of freedom, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. Today, that role is ours. As we face a threat we have never faced before, a former president attempting to unravel our constitutional republic. At this moment, we must all summon the courage to stand against that. The question for every one of us is in this time of testing, will we do our duty? Will we defend our constitution? Will we stand for truth? Will we put duty to our oath above partisan politics? Or will we look away from danger ignore the threat, embrace the lies, and enable the liar. As we leave here tonight, I ask all of you to remember this sacred duty that is passed to us. To remember that in our republic, some things have to matter. The defense of our republic, the defense of the constitutional foundations of our nation have to matter. In a republic, there are no bystanders, there are no spectators. As citizens, every one of us has a duty 
to set aside partisan battles and stand together to perpetuate and preserve our great republic. Ladies and gentlemen, we are engaged in a battle we must win. And with courage and clarity and grit, it is a battle we will win. Thank you all. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. Thank you, Liz Cheney. Well, that's all for this week. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to C-SPAN, Sky News, and the Kennedy Library for the audio clips. Our producer, sound designer, and engineer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.